Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Friday the 1st of November. Coming up, police speak to suspects after 39 bodies found in lorry. We are continuing to appeal for information into the whereabouts of 40-year-old Ronan Hughes and his 39-year-old brother, Christopher Hughes. ITV accused of failing Jeremy Kyle show participants. One man sitting with his head in his hands in his lap, weeping, who is still being you know, pursued by cameras, pursued by Jeremy Kyle. We were very concerned that people who were clearly in distress were being treated in that way. And cybercrime is on the rise. You can be burgled in your own home in front of your computer. You know, somebody can attack your computer very, very easily nowadays. And it doesn't take somebody much to do that. Kent Online News. First today, a bus driver thought to be in his 60s has been killed in a crash involving two buses and a car in Orpington. 15 others have also been injured following the collision on Seven Oaks Road just after 10 last night. The driver of the car has been arrested on suspicion of causing death by dangerous driving. Police investigating the deaths of 39 people found in a lorry in Essex, not far from the Dartford Crossing, have spoken on the phone to a suspect who's on the run. Officers are urging fugitive Ronan Hughes and his brother Christopher to hand themselves in. They're from County Armagh but have links with the Republic of Ireland. Detective Chief Inspector Daniel Stoughton has been giving us this update. Essex Police are continuing to investigate the deaths of 39 people whose bodies were found in a lorry trailer in Greys last week. We are continuing to appeal for information into the whereabouts of 40-year-old Ronan Hughes and his 39-year-old brother, Christopher Hughes, from Armagh. They are wanted on suspicion of manslaughter and human trafficking. I would like to thank all of those communities from Northern Ireland and Ireland, along with those in the in the road haulage and the shipping industries who have come forward to share information and knowledge with us. We know that you are as appalled as the rest of the world following the deaths of these people and we really appreciate your help. Today I want to make a direct appeal. Ronan and Christopher, hand yourselves in to the police service of Northern Ireland. We need you both to come forward and assist this investigation. Although we have already spoken to Ronan Hughes recently uh, by telephone, we need to have a conversation with him and his brother in person. Talking to Ronan and Christopher is crucial to our investigation and the sooner we can make this happen, the sooner we can progress and continue with our investigation. It is essential that we follow all lines of inquiry and bring those responsible for these tragic events to justice. Ronan and Christopher Hughes are known to have links in Northern Ireland and Ireland, as well as the road haulage and shipping industries. We urge anyone that has been in contact with them or has any information about where they are to get in contact with us. You may think that your information is insignificant, but even the smallest detail 
could be vital. So please contact us on by dialing 101 or via our portal, which is mipp.police.uk. I appreciate that you may not wish to speak to the police directly, and so you can also make contact with Crime Stoppers completely anonymously on 0800 555 111. Again, I would like to express my thanks to all those that have already come forward and provided us with really helpful information. Your help is invaluable. Yesterday, on Thursday the 31st of October, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, acting upon information, stopped a lorry believed to be connected to the Hughes brothers. The vehicle was subsequently seized and no further arrests were made. We would like to thank our colleagues in the PSNI and the Guard of Shikona, as well as the communities on both sides of the border. We will continue to work with them until Ronan and Christopher Hughes have come forward or they are arrested. Kent Online reports. A sex offender from Maidstone who used free Wi-Fi for shoppers to download indecent images of children has been jailed. Derek O'Rourke connected his phone to the internet at various sites in the town. The 57-year-old was arrested at his home in Fairmeadow in March 2018 and has now been sentenced to one year, eight months in prison. ITV has been accused of corporate failure of responsibility towards Jeremy Kyle show participants. A group of MPs looking into reality TV says it's seen behind-the-scenes footage from a whistleblower. It comes after the death of Steve Diamond after he went on the show. Concerns have also been raised over the support given to Love Island stars following the death of former Kent footballer Mike Thalassitis. Folkestone and Hythe MP Damien Collins, who chairs the media committee, spoke to Sky News. What we're speaking about today is, is, is two elements of footage. Firstly, the whistleblower's footage. This was footage filmed by a cameraman largely behind the scenes of the Jeremy Carr show. And what's concerned us is seeing you know, footage of people you know, in a very distressed state who've walked off the stage. You know, one man, probably in his 50s, who is sitting with his head in his hands in his lap, weeping, who is still being you know, pursued by cameras, pursued by Jeremy Kyle. You know, another another uh, person who, were, who left the set and went into a, a room, you could hear them thumping the wall in frustration uh, and anger and upset, and again being pursued by, by cameras and by Kyle. We saw that the aftercare team, such as it was, were very much in the background. They weren't intervening to help people in this situation. And these, we're very, we were very concerned that people who were clearly in distress and vulnerable were being treated in that way. We also saw footage that ITV shared with us, which we asked for, um, which was the, the full rushes of a particular filming session for one show of the Jeremy Carr show, which we've looked at. And again, we were distressed to see there, there are, there are incidents where Jeremy Carr, I think, is provoking uh, the, the member of the public on the, on the set. Uh, he's using uh, aggressive language to them. Uh, that language is edited out of the final programme, but nevertheless is clearly there designed to get a rise out of the person he's talking to. And I think we would really question whether there is a place for that sort of behaviour in television. He, uh, he is the host 
uh, but there are, there are producers that are responsible for the programme. The programme is made by ITV Studios, and therefore ITV corporately has responsibility as well. But what we've seen through this inquiry, I think, is that uh, there is a lack of, lack of common standards across the TV industry for, I think, how members of the public should be treated in situations like this. You know, we've seen from evidence that we've received that often people, um, that it's turned around very quickly. Within a day or two of, a, of discussing going on the Jeremy Carr show, they can find themselves in a studio in a situation they're unfamiliar with uh, being filmed and for some of them this was clearly distressing and I think over a number of years my concern is whether actually there wasn't proper supervision of the standards that were being deployed on that program. For the footage that we received from the whistleblower, we've obviously not made that public for good reason because uh, because of the uh, safeguard in the interest of the individuals concerned in that. Uh, I'm very happy for that to be made available to ITV so they can see that for, for, for themselves and also for Ofcom. And ultimately, I think it should be for Ofcom as the broadcasting regulator to come to a view as to whether uh, they feel the Jeremy Carl show was operating below the standards that were expected at that time. But I think one of the lessons for television has got to be that the Ofcom code in general regards children as being vulnerable but not, not adults and clearly now that's being reviewed to consider there are cases where adults can be vulnerable and there should be a higher level duty of care to them when they appear in shows like this. They need to look into the the production of that show but it was produced by ITV Studios and broadcast by ITV as well so ITV has the has the ultimate responsibility but I think that but I think it, it, this is something that affects both the team that made the Jeremy Carl show and ITV as a company. I think he, he does have responsibility. This is, you know, I think for him to be in a position where he is using abusive language to a member of the public in a very unfamiliar setting and for that language then to be edited out of the programme. When participants on the show use uh, swear words, it's bleeped. So you know they've said something they shouldn't say, but it's not broadcast because it's daytime TV. But in the incidents we saw when Jeremy Carl did it himself, it was just cut out altogether. And so I think there are, there are double standards there. But Jeremy Carl, Jeremy Carl is the presenter of this show. It's the producers who are accountable for the standards uh, that are set on that program and if he was stepping uh, over the line they should have reined him back in and I think you know we should, Ofcom should look at why that didn't happen. With programmes like Love Island there's clearly been a big change and we had evidence from contestants on Love Island and there has been a big change I think between uh, earlier, earlier series where it seemed to be very limited the sort of support that was given to the most recent series you know, after a tragedy where that's been improved. With the Jeremy Carl show we took evidence from ITV studios and people like Graeme Stanier who's the director of aftercare for the show. We were given all sorts of reassurances about the policies they had in place and the way people were looked after and yet seeing the footage that we've seen particularly from the whistleblower um, it shows that that's uh, in, the, in these cases, that was virtually non-existent and that I think vulnerable people were placed in a position they shouldn't have been in. And that's not as our view as members of parliament. That is the view of experts uh, who have advised the committee, who've reviewed this footage for themselves and in a long written statement have given their expert view on where the safeguarding standards fell short. ITV says the safety of everyone it works with is a top priority. Kent Online News. A road in Ramsgate's been taped off after a woman told police she was sexually assaulted. Officers were called to Albion Hill just before six this morning after she was reportedly attacked by a man. It sought the victim and suspect know each other. A controversial columnist has been branded a misogynist for mocking a Kent MP for opening up about her domestic abuse ordeal. In a piece for The Spectator, Rod Liddell described Canterbury's Labour rep as the sobbing and oppressed Rosie hashtag Duffield. It's after she gave a moving speech in Parliament last month about her experience 
experience of domestic violence. Staff at Medway Council are being urged to save cash or face overspending by £7 million by March. In a letter from bosses, they've been told to ban all spending, which doesn't directly deliver a service to the public that's required by law. The authorities blamed a lack of funding from the government. They've given themselves until the end of the financial year to fix their spending. We're being urged to do more to protect ourselves online with cybercrime increasing across Kent. Kent Online's been told more than half of crime in the county now involves an online element with teenagers as young as 13 trying to hack devices. Amy Payne, who's a Prevent and Protect Officer for Kent Police, has been speaking to Ollie on the KM Community Podcast. As the time changes, um, I mean, you know, we see that children have got devices, you know, they're using for all sorts of things. The internet's a fantastic thing anyway. Um, you know, it, it's designed to connect people overseas, etc. So there's always a good element of, of the internet, but also as well, there's always going to be that under the dark world of the internet. Um, and that's obviously where things are progressing. Um, and, you know, things are changing in the sense of people kind of, you know, with the crime changing, uh, we see that obviously around 53% of of all Kent, uh, crime in Kent has some online element. Um, so obviously we're seeing a change in Kent um, of that. So obviously we're having to look at ways that we can change the way that we police the internet um, and do things along those lines. So, Because I know you've talked before about the, this idea that um, you, know, you lock your doors and windows when you leave the house and people don't think the same way about the internet. Mm. Now that must be quite, it's quite a big challenge to educate people though, isn't it? And saying that this, this actually is statistically more likely to, to end up getting some kind of fraud in the cyber world than it is someone breaking into your house. So yeah, so I suppose with regard to uh, things changing, people tend to not realise the, uh, the difference between, you know, actually their physical security as well as their cyber security. Um, so one of the things that I try to sort of educate people and part of my job as, as a cyber protect officer is actually to try and educate people um, that actually they have to put the same emphasis as much as they do within their uh, home um, security, so the door locking and their you know, windows and alarms that actually, you know, you can be burgled in your own home in front of your computer. You know, somebody can attack your computer very, very easily nowadays um, and it doesn't take somebody much to do that. Um, so I try to sort of tell people, you know, a password is a great way to protect your computer. It's the same that you would be locking your door. An antivirus is a good way and, and two-factor authentication is a really good way to protect your devices. Um, it's a bit like an alarm. It alerts you when there's something going wrong with your devices. Um, you know, if you have something broken, the door's broken, you're going to go in and you're going to fix that. Um, because you want to make sure that you're secure. And it's the same as that with patching your software and updating it because actually there's a vulnerability there then you need to patch that and repair that. Um, and the same with, you know, you wouldn't put uh, something outside your home to say, this is my date of birth, um, this is where I live and this is my name, come in, I'm away. Um, and that's what happens on social media a lot of the time. A lot of people don't realise that their social media accounts are open um, and that People can just view that. Um, it's your responsibility as uh, consumers of social media to make sure that your privacy settings are secure because you're giving information away for free. Um, you're making it easy. You know, we don't need to put dates of birth on social media. There's no need for that. Um, we don't need to put our full names on there and what we do for a living um, if we're going on holiday. All of those things don't need to be on social media, but people seem to do it. Um, and that's one of the things that I try to explain to people when I do my talks 
it's the easiest way to protect yourself. You can hear more from Amy at kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online reports. Two men who smuggled millions of pounds worth of cannabis into Dover, hidden by pizza cheese, have been jailed. Maidstone Crown Court heard the 28 and 30-year-olds from the Netherlands had made at least 38 trips in and out of the country until being stopped by border force in 2016. They've been jailed for a total of more than 11 years. Police have released a CCTV image of a man they want to speak to after a replica of the flying car from Harry Potter was stolen from a garage near Dover. The blue Ford Anglia, which is often used in local fundraising events, was taken from Walmer 12 days ago. You can see the pictures at Kent Online. Events are taking place in Gravesend this weekend as Diwali celebrations come to an end. There'll be a lantern parade through the town after art workshops take place for children to learn about the festival. It's been organised by the Hindu Cultural Society. Viber Katerina is their secretary. Diwali is a very big festival for Hindus, Sikhs and uh, Buddhists. It is a five-day festival uh, which coincides with harvest and New Year celebrations and marks new beginnings and triumph of good over evil and light over darkness. It is like a, a Christmas festival for us. Uh, we decorate our houses with diyas. Um, we have sweets, Indian foods, we do prayers, we distribute gifts to our close friends and family. So it's like a big celebration for us. In India, it's celebrated on a large scale and when the kids move over here, they don't know much about Diwali. So we do these art and craft workshops uh, to keep them in touch with their roots. They know what it's about and they need to respect it and learn from the festivals and respect their elders really. So it's all about fun, uh, in a fun way. The kids learn about our religion and our festivals. Anyone is welcome. It's not all Hindus and uh, Sikhs and uh, Buddhists in the festival. There will be other people, people from another religion joining us in the celebrations. The message is really that we are united community and it's not uh, like we are not separate just because we are Hindus. We all join together in celebrations and we are together really. Tomorrow's parade will start at St Andrew's Quay outside the LV21 former lightship, which is now used for cultural activities. Kent Online News. Strong winds could cause disruption across Kent tomorrow. A yellow weather warning's in force from four in the morning until four in the afternoon. The Met Office say there's a chance of travel delays, power cuts and damage to buildings. Doctors in Kent are going to stop giving out handwritten prescriptions. It'll be to reduce errors and speed up access to medication. The government's investing £3.3 million in new digital technology at three NHS trusts in the county. It means mental health patients, as well as those covered by Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells and Dartford and Gravesham, will get electronic prescriptions instead. Kent Online Showbiz. Jax Jones has been on KMFM to talk about his new single. He teamed up with Ella Henderson on This Is Real and is also getting ready to go on tour next year. He's been chatting to Emma Joe on the hit list. I mean, the venue in London, we're playing at Brixton Academy, which is a, a little bit of an upgrade. This Because I've never done the live show in that big a venue on my own tour. Um, and I'm taking it around the country. I've learned all these things over the last year. And, and now I'm just bringing that to Brixton Academy. There's basically one big dance carnival with like 
crazy lions and like uh, people dressed as lions and skeletons. It's just crazy. And then all the bangers from the album, new exclusive stuff, guest performers. It's going to be amazing. Oh my God, it sounds so good. What I'm really excited about is whether you're going to be selling your merch on the tour because what I really want to see is thousands of people wearing Jax Jones snacks aprons. Oh, that would be so sick. I reckon that would be wicked. I might do an apron specific to Brixton Academy. And what I want to know actually is whether you use your own Jax Jones tea towels in your kitchen. Like, does Jax Jones wash up? Or have you got to that level of fame where you just don't need to wash up anymore? I actually enjoy washing up. Really? In my house, I'm called the washing up manager. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, my wife does most of the cooking because I just don't enjoy cooking. So, like, afterwards, you know, my duty is to wash it all up. Really? (laughs) She does the fun bit. Yeah, then I'm I'm the washing up manager. The mess manager, we call it. You're the mess manager. Oh my God, that is hilarious. Now, of course, it is Halloween today as well. I saw a picture of you at an event, a Halloween event the other day. You went as a Louis Vuitton mummy, (laughs) which is literally like, honestly, it's the most extra mummy I've ever seen. (laughs) You know what? Like... uh... That took extreme planning. I was I was stood there. I now feel like, you know, like, you know, when you see like Dua Lipa or whatnot getting dressed for an event. <laughs> yeah. I had to stand there for like 45 <laughs> minutes getting sewn into my mummy outfit. I was like, wow, this is what real glam is. This is what Rita Ora's life is I'm like. Arrived, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. And of course, like the best thing about it as well is that I saw the costume and I was like, that is hardcore. Like, I'm impressed with that. And then the next thing I see is you dancing on stage with Henderson. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's one thing to dress in that costume, but to dance in it the, the dancing thing is i'm getting so much practice these days that was that was light work for me <laughs> i flew to la to do a dance routine to reel with the this guy called the fitness marshal so i've been practicing that ever since and so that you know in my mummy outfit no sweat <laughs> <laughs> but then if there is sweat then the mummy tissue stuff oh, absorbs it so it's like the perfect exactly. costume um now let's really quickly talk about your single obviously with ella henderson uh what an absolute babe she is what is she like to work with oh she's amazing i've known her for years we're like old pals my wife used to babysit her my wife's like 10 years older than her they're from the same village in lincolnshire so I've known Ella since she was like, well, she was always taller than me. She's pretty tall. <laughs> That's so weird. So your wife used to babysit her when she was little and now you're working together and obviously you've got a single together. That's mad. Yeah, and she's crazy talented though. So I would have wanted to work with her regardless, but it just made it easier that instead of having to go through a label or whatever, I just like send her a text and say, Oi, mate, what are you doing Saturday? If you missed their chat last night, you can listen at kmfm.co.uk. And Westlife are coming to perform in Canterbury next summer. The Irish boy band have announced a stadium tour in 2020, which includes a visit to the Spitfire ground in July. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham will be hoping to build on their win over Accrington Stanley when they welcome Rotherham United to Priestfield this weekend. They beat their northern rivals 1-0 last Saturday and are currently 15th in the League One table. Jill's midfielder Stuart O'Keefe says it's all still to play for. You know what this league's like, it's very tight, a um, couple of wins you can move up up a few places, a couple of losses you can be looking over your shoulder, so it's always going to be tight right to the end, but um, if you can manage to win your home games, be solid away, um, you, you, should be, um, you should be looking to the top half, top six, why not, you know, um, there's a lot of football to play, a lot of points to play for, um, and we just need to be confident and, and professional and, and, and keep going. 
down really. In the Ipswich game and especially the Peterborough game, we got into good positions and good attacking areas, but didn't quite have that final ball, or that final pass, or that final quality in our finishing um, to make the difference. And um, also, I think maybe we, it didn't fall for us. You know, they get a, a worldy goal just before half time. Um, Peterborough uh, sort of took the wind out of ourselves, and then the penalty just after half time again sort of killed the game off. So um, it's a little bit of luck uh, and a little bit of quality on our behalf, and I don't think we'd be too far away. A tough one as they all are, you know, obviously Rotherham are one of the teams that um, come out of the championship last year, so they're an um, established outfit at this level and higher, so um, you know, they'll come here, I think they've got a decent record on the road, so they'll come here and it'll be a fight, we'll have to be up for it, but like I say, um, there's no reason why we can't take the game to them and, and pick up all three points and build on last week. There's going to be times this season where we, we're going to need the fans more than ever, um, especially at Priestfield, we, um, we appreciate all the support they give and we just hope that we can um, put a performance and a result to match that and together hopefully we can make this place a fortress and, and going forward pick up more points. We've had a good week's training, we've had a hard week's training. Um, the boys um, obviously needed that on Saturday um, to break the duck, get three points at a tough place. Um, the boys are confident, uh, we, want, we want the games to come, you know, we want to build on what we've done and um, go forward and, and get up the table really. So it's, it's a good, good place to be at the moment. For us it's all about what we do, we know, we, we know we're strong enough and we're capable of, of getting maximum points against the Rotherham team, who we know it's going to be a tough, tough affair, you know, but um, it is what it is, we'll, uh, we'll do what we do and hopefully we can come out on top tomorrow. Gillingham manager Steve Evans used to be the boss at Rotherham, who's been telling us what's changed since Paul Wan took over. Well it's obviously it's a different era now isn't it, they've got different players, um, I don't think there's, there's probably only Joe Mattock and Richard Wood left there from, from the time I was around, so it's, it's different people, they've got different um, coaches behind Paul Warren who probably play in a different way to what we played. Um, both can be equally as effective, both can be effective and will be effective. Um, but Paul's put his own stamp on it now and um, he's a good guy. I caught up with him at the, at the back end of last season and we had a nat on a car park for a bit, maybe five minutes and we stood there for about an hour, both of us freezing, but I think we both enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing Paul tomorrow. From a Rotherham United's point of view, the, the stadium is, is stunning and it's, it's a real highlight of the majority, not all, but the majority of clubs in League One to players and staff to go to the New York Stadium and, and, and get a result and prove a point and want to perform on a big stage. So. We had that in the early days in League Two with the, with the new stadium, but that, that will be what that's about. But, but listen, it's, Paul will be the same as me. No one will remember whether Rotherham's a good or bad or away form, home form, irrelevant if they're in the playoffs or ultimately automatic promotion. They're all tough games. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter when, if you're playing, when, we, when Bolton kids arrived here. It's, it's a tough game for a period of time. And the league leaders arrive, whether it be Ipswich, Peterborough, whether it be Wickham, they're, they're all tough games. Tomorrow will be as tough as any of them. Um, what your concentration is not about the FA Cup. I've got no thoughts on Sunderland until we, until we go through Saturday. And obviously very quickly at turn. But it would be good to be in that top half of the table group. That would be good because a win tomorrow and you look at who plays each other, you know, we could be sitting five, six points outside those playoffs. And uh, we've always said if we were five or six points outside the playoffs going into January, we'll be much better on the second half of the season. Statistically, my teams have always been better on the second half of the season. Statistically, a fact. Kick-off tomorrow's at three. Now, with a countdown to the Rugby World Cup final well underway, it's hoped a former Kent player will get to play some part in the game for England. Piers Francis played for sides in Gravesend and Maidstone before moving to New Zealand as a teenager. He's part of the squad getting ready to take on South Africa in Japan tomorrow, but he hasn't been 
named in the starting 15 or on the bench. Bob Hayton from Maidstone Rugby Club knew him as a youngster. He's been chatting to Nicola on Team Talk on KMTV early this week. Firstly, let's talk about the uh, semi-final on Saturday then. What did you make of it? Uh, what a cracker. I mean, a complete contrast to the one on Sunday as well, which yeah. was a, a real arm wrestle. Um, you know, there was some invention in there, uh, some imagination from mainly by England, I, you know, I have to say, which is what we weren't expecting. Absolutely. Um, New Zealand completely on the back foot, finding it difficult to, to really gain any purchase. Yeah, it was a fantastic victory for England. For Pierce to be part of that, although he wasn't playing in that match, what do you think that would mean to him? Well, it's. I think we, we, we've seen from Eddie Jones, it's, uh, it is a squad. Um, everyone's got a part to play. Um, even now we know that there are a couple of injuries. Those people will stay with the squad. They've still got a part to play. Um, you're only one injury away from being on the team sheet. Um, and what Pierce has in his uh, in his arsenal is he's quite versatile. He's you know he's a he's a, a ten, a twelve, or a thirteen. So he can play across those those three positions in the back line. And so. tell us a bit about Piers um, growing up and kind of his route to to the point where we're at today. Well, I first knew Piers when he was uh, sort of sixteen, seventeen, as when I first uh, sort of had contact with him. Um, he started his rugby at Old Gravesendians. Let's not forget that. Um, you know, uh, he came to Maidstone. We had a very successful age group um, at, at his level, which he he joined, um, and. Uh, and, and then made the transition to senior rugby. He was playing first team rugby uh, with, with Maidstone at the age of 17 as a fly half. Um, took a gap year, went to New Zealand, um, linked up with uh, a coach that he knew out there, Auckland Maris, and it's really sort of gone on from there. It's not the traditional route to English international rugby. Um, he was sidelined by Saracens Academy, and so that's where he went to to, you know, to follow his ambition. And uh, it's dedication, it's hard work, there's no lack of talent there. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he really is an advert for if you want something and go after it, you can do it. Absolutely. And you mentioned there obviously his time in New Zealand. If he was named in the starting 15 on Saturday, do you think his playing in the Southern Hemisphere would actually help playing against a team like South Africa? Well, he'll have faced them, you know, or players very similar to them before. Um, he played Super 15 with the uh, with the Blues, so it's not that he hasn't played against other Southern Hemisphere sides at a high standard. Um, so, yeah, that would stand him in good stead. Um, he knows the type of game they play, and, and if you've played the South African sides, you know that they're you know they're big, they're physical, and uh, they you know they, they they don't give any quarter. So looking ahead to that final, what are your predictions for what's going to happen on Saturday? Well, I go England by ten. I think it's this may be very surprising for an Englishman to say, but we have imagination in the backs, um, and I. I watched the semi-final on Sunday and yes it was an intriguing match, it was brutal and it was physical but it was one-dimensional and I think England have got a few more strings to their bow than when they were just looked upon really as being a side that was a set-piece side and, and big forwards. Now, I'm sure many of us can remember where we were back in 2003 when we uh, when England lifted the oh, Webb yes. Ellis Trophy. Tell us about your memories of that famous day. I was uh, I was playing veterans rugby then, and uh, I was in the uh, pub, which no longer is no longer a pub. I was in the Swan and Sutton Valance <laughs> with uh, with a whole host of uh, other veterans from uh, from from the uh, 
from the club. Uh, we'd had breakfast there and then uh, we, we sat down and watched the game. I, and it's the first time I've ever seen a Welshman cheering and waving his hands in the air when England won the World Cup. The match gets underway at nine tomorrow our time. Details on where to watch it are at kentonline.co.uk And in cricket, England have made a strong start to their 2020 international series in New Zealand. Kent Sam Billings was on 14 not out when they clinched a seven wicket win in their opening match in Christchurch. The second fixture of the five match series is in Wellington on Sunday. That's it from me for now but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news at any time news you can trust this is the kent online podcast